Yo, Chuck, run a power move on him. May I say something to you to give you a true knowledge of yourself and life so that the same glory and success attained by other men who understand themselves may be yours? Man in the full knowledge of himself is a superb and supreme creature of creation. When man becomes possessor of the knowledge of himself, he becomes master of his environment, the captain of his own ship, the director of his own destiny, the accomplisher of his own ends. Um, this is the Brooklyn Combine. We're here with, um, well, it's, you know, who's... I'll, 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 who's here with me from the combine today? I'll, I'll, I'll go into who we have with us today. Philip Shum. Please, we got it's Molly nice X. It's a nice shirt, now. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm not gonna. I'm yes, just, you I'm like something. Yeah, I mean, if you I, see something you like, you I should. like this shirt. Uh, we're not gonna go into that. We here today with um two very, they're young, or they're youngish, but two, uh, very dear, very talented, very bright. Old friends, we're gonna get into the story of how we met. Um, we have filmmakers, director, uh, producer, um, creators, uh, Jeremiah Zagar and Jeremy. I always screw your last name up. Yakis. 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 Jeremy Yakis and uh, Jeremiah Zagar. Um, how you guys doing? Really well, man. Well, listen, um, we, we've known you guys since the, what, 2000 and For those of you who don't know, they basically came with a posse from of talented <laughs> kids from Philly. Was everybody from Philly? Um, I'm trying to remember. Jonah. 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 Nate wasn't there yet. Yeah, so, so Nate wasn't there. Nate so was in, yeah. yeah, everybody was from Philly. We all grew up together in Philadelphia. Um, Adam. 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 Tim. Phil. Tim. 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 Adam wasn't there with the show. Jersey. Yeah. No, he was from Philly, but he was a... I don't know where he's from. He ended up moving to Philly. No, he was from upstate New York, I think. Gotcha, gotcha, yeah. So in the beginning, it was me, Jeremy, uh, Jonah, John. Jonah says hi, by the way. Yeah, tell Jonah. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'll say, I'll say hi. Um, he was like very excited. He was like, oh shit, back in the day, right? Yes. <laughs> um, and we were all living together in that apartment. And Jer I, Jer Jeremy came and was staying like intermittently, and then he moved to Bushwick, and then came and moved into the apartment a little later with me. You, you know what? What really for me that time is Sherwin. 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 Oh, At that time, I was uh, twenty nine. Um, I had just left the district attorney's office, and we had decided as a crew, like you guys, uh, we had all these relationships where we were together to come to Dumbo and get an office space. Um, and you guys were, were some of the first people we met when we got to Dumbo. And it, it made, you know, now when I think, think about it back then, you know, it was so cool. Cause it was like, it was a bunch of creative people from different places 
trying to figure it out. The brain was percolating about ideas and what we wanted to do. And um, it was a really, 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 um, for me, it was a great time. Was that um, was that York or Washington at that time? It was first York. It was York. Yeah, we were in, thir- so we were in thirty-five early. York, where mm-hmm. you know it's a condo now. Um, but right. that- to think about the fact that at the time it was like, first of all, this is what I was thinking about: is that it's it was a time like this, like New York will, I think, will be New York soon because mm-hmm. it was right after nine eleven, mm-hmm. right and. And there was like these neighborhoods like Dumbo, which were kind of just abandoned. Mm-hmm. There was like nothing in it, right? It was like, I mean, it was awesome. It was like lots of lofts and, you know, amazing spaces. But like the mingling of rich and poor, the mingling of all different mm-hmm. cultural backgrounds, mm-hmm. all different racial backgrounds, like everybody was just kind of in this like weird little New York melting pot that was that time. It yeah. Was cool. I, I it was good. I remember you, we talked, we talked about this the other day. Jeremy, you remember the party we did? Um, yeah, we did a we did like a party, and the party was like sponsored by what Heineken, Hennessy, Hennessy, Shout out to uh, Mark Dunn. Yeah, but yeah, Mark Manifest set that up, so. Manifest. Yeah. But you know that party was exactly what you just described. It was everything and everybody, all types of music, art uh, in that party, and it was organic and it was natural. Like it, was, people, it was community. It was community. And people were getting to know each other. And we just happened to click um, as a, two groups of guys. And um, it, it was really powerful for me. And then, you know, over the years, like when we met, we just were talking about Baby Eat Baby. Right. It was the first mm-hmm. film project. Well, one of the first. The other one, when you guys were still, you guys had either begun or you were starting to work on. Um, on a dream. Yes, just dream. in a dream, which blew every you know. Phil and Malia are, are artists, like trained artists, trained, and to see your dad's work through that film, and then even just the challenges of of your family and that the story behind everything, it was like incredible. Um, and it's kind of wild. You guys got didn't you get nominated? Yeah, we got we got shortlisted for an Oscar. For in a dream, for in a dream, which was kind of nominated for some Emmys. Some Emmys, right? I didn't recall the details, but as they say, like with a person, you might not remember their name, but you remember how they made you feel. I instantly remembered how it made me feel, and we had Phil and I were talking about that. It's the film that's still made it free for COVID. So you did? Oh, awesome. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, if you want to see In a Dream uh, on Vimeo, it's a beautiful film. Like, really, on on several levels, it's a beautiful film. We got to link it on on Instagram. So I was looking. um, Now, let me ask. Like, you guys seem to have, like, you kind of did what me, Phil, and Mally did. Even within the crew, you guys seem to have stuck together, you and Jeremy. That's as right. far as working, like how did how did that happen? Yeah, Jer- actually, Jeremy, Nate, and me in, in similar in similar ways. Mm-hmm. When you guys sort of stuck together, we we stuck together. Although Nate moved to Vermont, but he's still, you know, part of um, public record. Okay. <laughs> and so, like, what what happened was is that we made in a dream, and Jeremy can speak this from his perspective too. But we, we were making the dream, and we were making it um, at night. Like, I was working all day. I moved out of that spot. Mm-hmm. And Jeremy moved into that spot. I moved it was like an spot. animal, creative animal house spot. That's how I would describe it. It's like animal house, but creative. I moved into a closet to make the move because I couldn't, I couldn't afford to live in 
in five hundred thousand a month. I think it was cheap. Now I remember that. That's how crazy it was back then. It was like I couldn't afford five hundred thousand a month. Like if I was going to make the movie, I had to live um, in a closet, I mm-hmm. in a friend's closet. Um, this woman Anna I remember. I remember that. Like, yeah, no, that closet, <laughs> it was literally a closet. It was like she had like a nice. It was like she was like living in a kind of construction site, and so like she was like kind of you know it was like a weird deal that she was like. <laughs> <laughs> you know what we call that, Jim Hart? It's called a bad deal. But yeah, it, it ended up working yeah. out. I mean, she gave it to me for free. It was wonderful. I mean, she's such a wonderful person, and and um, and it was wonderful to be in that closet because I got to just work. And then Jeremy had a job. Jeremy was producing for this company, Shiloh, which is which was like a Ocean graph. Oh, I didn't know you were at Shiloh. Yeah. Oh, wow. It's good stuff. <laughs> Back in the day. Wow. Um, so, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I would work during the day and then I would go over to Jeremiah's closet and <laughs> he'd show me what he had about that. Wow. Yeah, that's how we made the movie. And I and I just remember like different people working on different parts of the movie. Like I vaguely remember like someone working on the animation of it. Like, yeah. And and uh, just, that, but it was Cassidy just Gearheart. you know. But you know what was impressive to me about your team, a bunch of young guys, was that you you guys all brought something to the table and you were trying to figure out how you guys can. We're work all trying together. to work together. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. probably in the same way that you guys are doing mm-hmm. it. Like, you know, you understand that you know nobody's gonna, nobody's making money, right? So in this creative pursuit, so there wasn't any money being made, and we were just kind of spending it and mm-hmm. starving ourselves. But we understood that um, the if we made something great, that people would recognize it, mm-hmm. you know, and that that would change the way um, people perceived our ability. I, f- I feel like in the in the dream was the like. Groundbreaking. It was the catalyst. It was right? a catalyst yeah. for for a lot. Um, when did you? When did you? Was there ever a point where you're like, "Wow, we really are doing this," or "This can really happen"? I can quit my. I could perhaps quit working at Shiloh, or I can move out the closet. Closet. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I, well, I quit. I did quit Shiloh when um, we were finishing the dream, mm-hmm. um, and then when it was in, uh, you know, I started playing film festivals and stuff. Um, and then probably we started our company in like a real way mm-hmm. um, a few years after that. That was HZ Films. No, no. that's so, what it was. Well, it was. well, HZ was was what we were doing when we were making the dream. Mm-hmm. We we started basically, you know, that wasn't a real company. Okay. That was just Jeremiah and I that mm-hmm. we started when we were in college. Mm-hmm. Um, the the real company that which is now called Public Record that started in 2012 um, when we made a short film. Um, called Heart Stop Beating. So what happened was, it was, it was a little bit of like, um, like one and then the other, right? So, in a dream, it got out there and um, and it did really well. And then I could get work. And I could, like, I moved, I, I bought a um, El Camino. So, and I slept in the <laughs> nice. El Camino. Nice. And I was just kind of moving to people's houses. So you coming up, man. Closet, El Camino. Did you still have that El Camino? Oh man, I, that El Camino broke down five times. <laughs> this time I broke down on the highway and I was just like, I couldn't get it. You gave it up. And I just oh, gave it up. It was a, I'm sure it was a looker though. It was a great look. And, and heart stop beating was literally about someone's heart that stopped beating. beating. That's right. So what, what happened was is that Jeremy and I were like, we, we, we had started to work and he was producing a lot, you know, and we weren't, we had finished this movie and then we weren't able to work together, right? Because we didn't have a company, we didn't have a digital structure, we didn't have any place to be. And there were also all these other guys that, um, that we grew up with and that we worked with that worked with us on in a dream that also were in the same situation. 
they were editing, you know, or they were shooting, um, or they were doing motion graphics, and they weren't directing, which is what they wanted to be doing. So what what happened was, is that two years after that, we got this opportunity to make Hard Stop Beating, and we knew that there was a possibility that Hard Stop Beating could go to the Sundance Film Festival. Mm. We had an idea that that would, that would happen because of the infrastructure around Hard Stop Beating and people involved. And so we we sort of said, let's all get together and we'll have an office share. That was in Red Hook. We got this little office share. And um, and Hard Stop Beating came out and we started what we called Union HZ at the time, which mm-hmm. was like this idea of like the union of, of all of the communities. Know, the community. yeah. It was, you know, Nathan Caswell and um, yeah, I would have skipped. I would have skipped that name once. Very public. Yeah. So we, we changed the name ultimately as as we realized like we started to become successful, and so we we got sort of into making hard stuff. Eating. What hard stuff eating was was it was a short form documentary that felt like it had commercial potential. Well, no, it was it was branded content. It was it was, paid, it, was it was paid for by uh, GE. Mm-hmm. That's- um, I, I was gonna say, where does it live now? Is it? It lives on the, the web. It lives on the web. So, so it w- there was something called Cinelon, and what they did was they got thirty um, filmmakers to make films about science mm-hmm. um, for MGE. You know, paid for not not a ton of money, but they put up some money, and you can make your your short film about science. And ours was about these doctors who were putting. Um, they're called LVADs. They're basically replacing a heart with a machine for people whose hearts were basically diseased and, and dying. And they did it. I mean, it worked. They, they put a, the, the two LVADs into the heart of a cow and the cow lived. And they put it into a man and the man lived. Now, it hasn't become ubiquitous yet in, in, in medicine, but it was the beginning of this idea of like, we can actually create a heart because the heart is just something that pumps blood. Like, well, is it fair to say like the entry point for you guys beyond your creative and, and your own uh, individual and collective genius was this this short film and then documentary was was that the pathway into what you guys we're going to get into some of this project you're doing now. Everything builds on everything else, mm-hmm. so I think that you know what um, the documentary put us into the conversation, and then. The short work allowed us to have a living. Mm, okay. Living, right. Well, because so, it, it led to like commercial. other other branded content. Okay. And, and and that actually, you know, we could pay for the office. We didn't all have to. It was we supplementing. Started, we started out where everybody chipped in. Everybody put in here, mm. you know, five hundred, seven hundred bucks to to pay the rent of the mm. office, and then we started doing more and more commercials, and then the company started paying for all that, and people started to make. You know, not great living, but they started making enough money to pay their rent and to have a little bit of life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you know, we were start, we were able to, you know, get a staff and buy some equipment and stuff like that. After when we changed our names, it really took off. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and now, fast forward, um, you're doing full, big time budgeted feature. Films, not just even documentary stuff. I mean, you guys, you know what film that you guys did that I liked a lot? The Pamela Smart. Oh, you saw that? Yeah. That, I mean, that's, that's, a lot of people don't realize the Pamela Smart story was the, uh, a feature film was made about that. Um, I think To Die For, to die for. 
Well, that was Nicole Kidman. Wasn't yeah, Nicole, Kidman. Nicole Kidman, but the you guys did the documentary right. on that, which is I think is on HBO now. Um, that you know, I'm an attorney, so that that story was crazy. Yeah, did you relate? I mean, I, I love the attorney stuff in that. No, it was because it was a it was a very important film for the legal world in a sense, is that it 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 made real life legal situations and put it in an entertainment lane. You know, court. You know, soon after that, court, t- uh, court TV and all these different trials, you know, and it, 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 it was a reason. It was one of the reasons why probably the OJ case That's right. became, so, I mean, that became such a household name for other reasons as well. But that movie, that incident, that crime really paved the way for that. That's right. Right. So that's what happened after. Uh, I'm sorry. You know what? Phil is always like, he's a nerd, man. He's right. on time. Like, he always wanted to take a. You know, we typically do a little music break. He doesn't song. like the organic. For someone who's an artist, he doesn't like the organic nature <laughs> yeah. that we get to yeah, sometimes. Yeah. He's all, like all corporate. Is, yeah, you know yeah. I mean? He's like the corporate dude. <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. yeah. corporate, corporate dude. Yeah. So, um, so we're going to take a break. But before we do, is there any kind of what you guys listen to? Anything oh, fun and new? Yeah, right here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've been listening to Avi Shai Cohen. You know who Avi Shai Cohen is? He's an Israeli jazz musician. Mm-hmm. My wife turned me on to that. I we like jazz like contemporary. contemporary. Like, contemporary. Nice, yeah, nice. Yeah. Okay. Let's, yeah. let's give him a nice. listen. He's special. All right, we're going to check that out. Jeremy, you got any? Uh, nothing. No, let's do, let's nothing. do some Avishai Cohen. <laughs> All, right. <laughs> All right, so we'll, we'll, we'll be right back.
so we're back from our music break. Well, you were saying that, um, okay, so Pamela Smart. So what happened was, is that um, I became, uh, like, so So after In the Dream, I became, like, sort of a go-to editor. And I was, like, the guy that you would hire if your film wasn't so good, you know? You were, and like, the just, saver? Like, I was, like, a, I, yeah, I was, like, a, Use the, yeah, the cleaner. Capital yeah, yeah, film. Yeah, the thing's not working, <laughs> let's get hired Jeremiah to come in. So I started, like, this sort of, like, because in the beginning, public record wasn't successful enough to support us. So I would also do editorial stuff and then I also cut movie trailers. I mm -hmm. mean, like, in documentary, you would cut these movie trailers and they would raise money for your movie. That's how we raised money for In a Dream. Mm -hmm. um, and we used the trailer to, like, say, this is what the movie will be. And I cut the trailer, I got a, I got a job cutting the trailer for that movie for um, this woman, Lori Chido, who's an amazing producer. Mm -hmm. She called me up and she said, will you the trailer she loved the trailer so much she hired me to to direct uh, uh wow. to direct the movie and and she saw it in a dream and loved it in a dream so it was like i had the background but also i think it was just you know when you start working with people even on a smaller scale mm -hmm. they start to realize you're capable of more yeah, and and i'm gonna tell you that that whole saver kind of fixer thing i've been in that situation as an attorney before that in one regard it is you know, you, you kind of like, you feel inspired that people think you're good at something. But in another regard, you find yourself in these almost unwinnable situations where right. people want you to make... Uh, well, yeah, people are hiring know. you to put out fires all yeah, the time. Like, like, and it, it becomes well, really... Be careful, right? Yeah, you got to be yeah. careful. It becomes really, really challenging. You have to believe that you can save it. Yeah. If you can't save it, if it's burning down, you know that you can right. save it. Right? And but then you have to keep the time to do your own thing. We should point out, though, that when we were making in a dream... We had a movie that needed to sit. And so, oh, so, right. so when we made that movie, you know, uh, Keiko Deguchi and Sam Pollard came in and they were basically the savers. And well, why would, why would, why would you, what, what was the saving element of the movie? So that's how we learned, sort of learned, I learned to be that saver mm -hmm. because I watched Keiko save my ass. Mm -hmm. like, and, okay. and, and Sam and Ross, like it's, they knew the movie was going down in flames. Like, the movie we cut. What's the telltale sign of a movie going down in front? I just wanted to bring that up because Jeremiah was saying that people would hire him to save their movie, but every movie would save. save. Every, so, it's, okay. It's not like the movies are bad. Just every movie is bad at a certain point. Okay. okay. Our movie, I mean, Scorsese says, like, if you don't hate your rough cut, it doesn't make you cry or want to vomit. Like, you're, <laughs> you've got a problem. You know what I, mean? I got you. It's like Good the point. beginning, and what happens is you get so close to so it. So is it like you just you just get so invested in your narrative that you you don't you lose the objectivity or, or that's, that's definitely a big part. Here's what I think it is. Here's I have, a, I have an analogy. Let me hear my analogy. Yeah. It's kind of long, mm -hmm. but I'll give you I'll give it to you. So people always talk about your movie as a baby, and I think that's bullshit. I don't think your movie is a baby at all. I think your movie is like a first love. You know what I mean? It's like every time it's like you're falling in love again, and the way it works is like especially with a documentary, it's like. You find a subject and you're just like entranced by it. You're like, oh, I gotta, I gotta film this. I gotta be with this person all the time. I gotta just mm -hmm. gotta film you and see you. And I say, I'm seeing you in all these. Then you start growing so apart. <laughs> That's exactly right. Then you start Kiss editing. You start the editing process and it starts going bad. You start, like, you start realizing all the problems with the relationship, right? Right. It work. It's, it makes you unhappy. It makes you, like, you gotta spend all this time. Why does she it makes breathe you like that? Why does he voice get on my nerves? She be snoring. And that's where Keiko came in. Like, we were at a place, I remember showing the movie, I showed the movie to all, um, Ross, Ross knew it was bad. Ross was REP, um, and, uh, 
and he'd done Born into Brothels. And he had, you know, he had just won an Academy Award. Um, him and John Dragons were our EPs, and they were amazing. And they knew the movie wasn't working. They knew I was too close to it. They knew the relationship was bad. You know, it was like when your friends can see that your relationship yeah, is bad. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah we're like, oh, this isn't working out. And so we brought, I, I showed the movie to um, a group of editors that we brought in. Nancy Baker and Keiko and Sam Pollard, Jean Chen. And they came and they watched the movie. And... Um, and they saw it was wrong, and they could see what what wasn't quite working. They could see that it was a beautiful movie there, but they could see what wasn't quite working. Um, and I remember Sam wrote me pages and pages of notes. Sam cuts for Spike Lee, and is an mm-hmm. amazing director in his own right. And um, and Keiko has made some like of the most beautiful documentaries the last ten years. And um, and Harris, she cut you know mm-hmm. We the Animals is like you know aside from Jeremy, probably my closest collaborator. We We the Animals is a great film that um, my children. I watched it with my kids. They uh, and they were, you know, Jet was definitely probably eight or nine, but he remembers it. Um, like we saw each other the other day, and he gave uh, uh, Jeremiah gave us a, a, a copy of it, the album. And they both of my two of my two boys, they looked at it. It's like, yeah, they they remember they remember that film so well. And I think I, I don't know if any of you have seen anybody listening. You should definitely check out We the Animals. It's a for a number of reasons, cinematic, uh, the photography was crazy. And then the acting, you know, whenever you see young kids put in that position to deal with very difficult issues from an acting standpoint, it's like memorable. And um, it, it was a really good movie. Amazing you know? parents. You got to have amazing parents like you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but that like, like that film was like, it's, it's kind of shocking, some of it. Yeah, <laughs> like when you, when you, so same with, you know, in the dream. Same with... I think even same with the Pamela Smart story. There's like a, you know, there's a theme. I've been thinking there's a theme that goes through the work. It's like, you know, the movies start with monsters and end with people. Mm. So like you start to see, you start to see them as, you know, I think that's what I, I'm really drawn to. We can talk about this later with the fifth. It's like, I, you know, we have an, a vision of human beings that's often black or white. It's often, you know, mm. it's like binary, binary good mm. or bad. Mm-hmm. And then, but the idea of the story or the great stories that I love is that, you know, at the end, you realize they're just people and mm-hmm. people are flawed and problematic. Mm-hmm. Right. And you lose that. You use, you lose the ease with which you can pass judgment. And now, and that's the place that you want them to be, right? That's what you want. I think that's what we want to be as a world. Of course. Know, of course. Like, I think what, what's happening is, is that we, so we, you know, we, we become, you know, so easy to dismiss whatever, yeah. you know, I think like that, you know. What do you attribute that to um, I think, I think it's a, I think it's a natural reaction. I think it's a survival instinct. Oh yeah, absolutely. Freaking yeah. make uh, a amygdala gland too big or whatever. But like the, the reality is like as a human first, like the way that I like to think about it in my mind's eye is we want to know things, right? Like we want to know things. And so often if we can't know, we'll make something up, right. you know, we'll make something up. So it is, it's instinctive to pass judgment. We have survived because of that. You want, me, you want to do something crazy? I haven't talked about this in forever, but um, I did my thesis on this in college. Um, so during um, during World War II, one out of ten um, one out of ten Nazis. It took one out of ten Germans during that time um, to save the amount of people that were saved. Right. So one out of ten people in Nazi Germany, what we think of as like you know probably. This, one of the worst, you know, eras of human history. One out of ten of them were bucking, like were were were, were taking the greater 
great, you know, we're, we're risking our lives, mm-hmm. risking our lives to save other people, right? Like not giving into the fear, not mm-hmm. giving into mm-hmm. the pain. I always thought that was really interesting. And I was like, so what's, you know, and I thought that was amazing too, but like what's happening with the other 90%? I was like, really, you know, how, how does that happen? How do you like, how do you lose humanity enough to, mm-hmm. you know, to abandon these people? And I thought there's, there was this guy, Frank DeWall, who did this experiment with, um, I'm, I'm going to say it's chimpanzees, but I, I'm not, I might have the, the monkey wrong. I think it's chimpanzees. Um, he wrote this book called Good Nature. I'm familiar. Go ahead. Yep. You know this, you know mm-hmm. And I thought what was so incredible about it was like, so the um, the monkeys will always help each other, right? They'll always like, if, if a monkey hurts its leg, the, the rest of the chimpanzees will slow down to, with the whole group will slow down to help that chimpanzee through, you know, through the system. Get, get, mm-hmm. you know, get to the next because by helping each other, they become a more cohesive unit and therefore more powerful. Mm-hmm. Now, when there's a disease, when a monkey gets a disease, mm-hmm. like we have a disease now, right, in our society, like mm-hmm. in a, mm-hmm. a metaphorical disease, we have a literal disease mm-hmm. in our society. When there's a disease, the monkeys will find that disease monkey and they will beat it to death. Mm-hmm. And I think what what happened in Nazi Germany and what's happening now in America and what you see all over the world and what you see on social media and what you see in, in I think, you know, on Facebook is that people turn um, humans into diseases, right? Mm-hmm. Like we start to say the Jews are a disease, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Poor people are a disease, mm-hmm. you know, it's like whatever you want to say and then that's how people are able yes. to suddenly give up their humanity and react the way they react. Yes. I was, gonna, I was gonna. I was gonna make a quick point, though. You no, know, I, I was. Gonna, I mean, and that's similar to in history. When you even think about what predated the transatlantic slave trade, you you essentially had um, it, it was coming from the church at the time. It, it, it was you know John Clark talks about it, uh, the historian. He talks about how basically to to go on the route of slavery and to begin enslaving people in such a focused, violent manner, in such an efficient way, is that you had to believe that those people weren't human. That's right. And exactly. You know, so, and, that, and that's the point that I was about to bring up. Also, when I say the amygdala, I really should say uh, overactive, but the point is, I don't think that it's so much a loss of humanity as much as it is a redefinition of humanity, which is why we continually advocate for controlling of one's narrative. Or a poison humanity, right? Mm-hmm. They're sure. poisoning humanity, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's what that's what Anslinger's doing, right? Anslinger's yeah. like they will take, you know, you black and brown people, they will take your white women mm-hmm. and they will mm-hmm. infect you with their cocaine mm-hmm. and their And that's what we were talking about. And that's what crazy. we were talking about. Exactly. And I love that. That was so outrageous. But I I love it as a social study, obviously not as a human being. But the point the, the point that I was gonna make is when we can even if you consider the Weimar Republic, to a large degree, what you were seeing was a redefinition of humanity. And back to what we were discussing off the podcast, it's a it's gotta be practical. It's, it has to have a need. So if the economy's collapsing and if I'm struggling and everything, I need look, who's to blame? You need an enemy. You need an enemy. And then now you get right back to that binary dynamic. And so it's so important for us to do the work like you all are doing, where you're controlling stories, but individuals have to know how to control stories. We have to learn how to control the stories that we tell ourselves about ourselves. Put the empathy before the enemy. Sure. Right? Mm. I think that's sure. a, I think that that's sort of like the ethos of the work we're trying to do. Yeah. That's what we're about. How do you put empathy before enemy? If yeah. you guys had to say uh, where you're at, and I'm curious for both of you, like 
you know, you had your goal, you, you had the ultimate pinnacle of your career or the work that you're doing on a, on a scale of zero to 10, where are you guys at? You think was, was really controlling your narrative? Oh, and, uh, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's also so hard to tell because mm-hmm. of COVID because mm-hmm. I feel like that just, uh, takes where you are and throws it up in the air and puts it in a blender. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know, like three or four. Okay. I feel like. Okay. But also, that's just because, you know, because it's, it's, I would say three or four because one, we're ambitious and two, because I feel like we're starting to be where we are where we want to be, mm-hmm. but it's just the very, very beginning. It's the beginning. Okay. And Jerry, and you, and you, you know, I was talking to Jeremiah about this the other night when we were at Sarah Gina for dinner. Um, like you, is producer your space or is this something else that you're trying to, to, to do from a personal standpoint with, with the yeah, narrative I mean, and storytelling? I, I mean, producing, um, and I mean, my title at our company is executive producer mm-hmm. and certain projects where um, you know, I'm I'm an executive producer and on a certain projects where I'm sort of the, the, the producer producer, which mm-hmm. is the person who's, who's What's the difference? So the so the producer is the person who's pushing the boulder up the hill. Okay. Doing um, all the work. Doing, doing the, like anything from not dragging an actor out of the, the, the uh, watering hole and talking to him <laughs> yeah, to I mean, dealing yeah. with the budget, like everything, yeah. like everything. making this production happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So the producer is doing all of that stuff, and then the executive producer is also. It's, it's a little bit more of like the fifty thousand square foot view or whatever, mm-hmm. square, uh, fifty thousand uh, feet high view or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so I do I do the latter. Um, as like uh, as like my every day, and then I do the producing, producing, um, you know, when I have to, mm-hmm. um, which is often, but <laughs> uh, um, I mean, I, I think that's just what producing is though. Producing, you have to get in there, and you guys, it's a, it's a selfless, like, very difficult job. It's like, it's a lot of work, it's a lot of work. You got to keep everything together. Jeremy's doing the most work. Yeah, you got it. But you know what? Uh, even back in the Dumbo days, you never got too crazy. Or you kind of, for me, when I'm thinking back, like you were the even kill yeah. guy. When everybody's jumping out the window, yeah. uh, banging beers, banging some alcohol, yeah, yeah, you yeah. weren't, like you always kept it at a, a certain level. Yeah. That I see. Yeah, yeah, and that's why, you know, the guy said three or four, I think Jeremiah would say much higher. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't think of it that way. I was thinking about it. I, I think of it as like you. I'm trying to achieve a dream, right? Mm-hmm. Every project is a dream. Everything is a dream. And then I get I get real depressed after I finish a project because I don't know what to dream next. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like I, I think that what we're trying to do now, I think, is different from what we did before, which was like big dream, big dream, big dream, big dream. It's like I'm trying to have a lot of them, mm-hmm. like not just one dream, like three or four. And I think mm-hmm. that's what Jeremy and I are focusing on now. How do we have, you know, many dreams that we're dreaming so that when one is done, there's another one to move on to. But also, how do we how do we branch out now that we have a little bit more success and help other people achieve their dreams? And I think those are that's I think where the company is at now. It's like, but that's also where it's also where it started too. Mm -hmm. I think I think the company kind of started there, and 
that's, that's probably a place where we haven't had as much success as we wanted to. And so I think we, we always wanted to do that. And, you know, we're realizing that we just, you know, we've been able to do our own thing, but we haven't been able to do as much with other people and other artists that we love um, as much as you would like. Right, from that collective place. place. I can recall, I know we got to go to music break, but like this discourse, of course, takes us back so far. And it makes me think about like when we were at, we were in Dumbo, we were 55 Washington. And I remember Phil and I working on a project with, with, I can't remember the studio right now, but they were, they were downstairs. And I remember they were only starting out. And now, of course, they're doing so freaking well. And I can recall being in their space thinking like, man, big spaceship, big spaceship. And thinking like, man, how do we like do this for us? Like we were able at one point, of course, as a, you know, like this small portion of these, as these creative, these directors, but it's like, how do we do this as a collective? And that was always the struggle. And then when you're a part, it's kind of back to what you were discussing earlier, when you're helping other people put out their fires, it can be bittersweet because yeah, you like it. It's nice to be, you know, celebrated in that way, but it's like, man, but we want to do this for like us. We want to put out our fires, but, that's where the bigger community part like you're talking about comes in because maybe you can't put out your fires. Maybe you do need others to help you put out yours, but how do you do it and have the same type of success without the nimbleness that often allows you to navigate into other people's worlds as smaller collectives and be a tool for them? Yeah, I think we've been shown the way by some some people like Sam, like Ross. So with, with, are those guys, like, have they mentored you guys yeah. somewhat? Definitely, I mean, definitely. I mean, Ross is like, you know, he's he's just a principal person, and he he's you know very much, you know, shown us the path that he took and showed us the way. Um, in terms of documentary, especially, mm-hmm. and then you know, um, Sam and Keiko very much technically, you know, were you know technical mentors, like editorial mentors. I mean, editing is, I I love the craft of editing. Editing is something that's passed down. It's not something that you really mm-hmm. learn in school. It's mm-hmm. something that you learn practically on the job, right? So it's like, if you're doing it, that's the only way to learn it. And failing is the only way to learn it. That's right. right. You have to fail hard. Right. Yeah, and, and like, because you need to know what's going right. on. And then on the business side, you got to fail fast. So yeah. now you get, but you know what? Let's, let's, take, let's take that as an opportunity to do a quick break and let's come back. Let's talk about, about mentorship. Yeah.
All right, so we we're back. A um, couple of things, you know. Men, you now you said mentorship, but um, some I want to talk about. You had mentioned the other day, Jeremiah. I, I found it interesting. We were talking. Um, I kept thinking about it. You had said something about you can tell, like, damn. You were talking about a director, the concept of directing, yeah, and that you can look at a film and tell where the director was at in their space and time. I'm, I'm not summing up what you said, but you... I think so. Yeah. Um, uh, I think you could feel where... I think uh, you were saying, like, I think you were talking about what a director, you know, where a director's at when mm-hmm. they're making a movie. Mm-hmm. I think the point is, I think, that it depends what kind of director it is, but, like, the directors I love, you can feel them in their movie, and I think that you can feel where they're at in their life in their movie. Like, mm-hmm. You know, because I, I believe that also because I'm a director, but <laughs> I think that, you know, the, the, if you look at the genesis of, you know, um, in a dream to captivated to we the animals, mm-hmm. you know, and you look at my voice in, in in those movies, you can you can see the difference of where I'm at as a human being. Mm-hmm. You know that there's a there's a line, but there's a difference. And I think you can do it with other directors. I mean, it's easy when you take somebody who's like out there in the world, like Paul Thomas Anderson or something, and you look at like the young, you know, the early the earlier films, and you watch. No, I tell you, you definitely can see it. You certainly can see it with music, obviously. And the same as with films. You can see when there's a greater community aspect to what they're doing, to their craft, versus when they're more isolated, you know? And I think you can see, I think you can see the heart of the director. Now, yeah, that's what we were talking about. Yeah, that's right? what I think we were talking yeah, about. Yeah. I think you can see when a director is a jerk. Yeah, 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 oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. No, no, no. That's a, <laughs> but, but I'm sure there's just some jerk. <laughs> directors who made some great, but yeah, well, that's assume, that's only assuming that. All right, I'm. That's assuming that a bad director or a jerk of a director can only make a bad film. You could be a jerk and make a great, totally. a great yeah. film, yeah, or a good film, or good film. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, and I, I think I'm not going to talk about jerks because we're showing our talking about, mm-hmm. it, you know, but I, I think like you can see sweetness in directors, and mm-hmm. you can see that Steven Spielberg is a sweet man. Mm-hmm. I think when you watch it, mm-hmm. you can see the humanity and feel mm-hmm. that sweetness. Mm-hmm. In, 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 who who are directors that you guys still look towards, like when they have something out that you you want to check it out? Um, you want to go there? Want to go first? Um, you, there's a woman named Lynn Ramsey whose movies are like very. Um, you know, there's obviously Paul Thomas Anderson. He's, you know, he's somebody that every time a movie of his comes out, mm-hmm. you know, I'm 100 percent in. You know, the the there's like three, there's these three Mexican directors, obviously who do like you know everybody knows now, like Cuarón and Del Toro and Enrique, who every movie just like blows mm-hmm. my mind. You know, what was it? What, what was uh? Quaron did Children of Men and he okay. did, mm-hmm. yeah, I know. He did Gravity and he did Roma recently, yeah. which like, you know, I don't think it I just watched a film on Phil Phil sent me that was really interesting. It was about being in the Colombian jungle. A bunch of oh, young yeah. kids. Oh I didn't oh, see yeah, that. Yeah, I, yeah, see yeah. He, I know him. Yeah, I know him. Yeah, into Manos. 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 Yeah, 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 I thought that was interesting. We hung out a couple of times. That's a crazy It's movie. crazy. Yeah. It was funny because watching it, I felt like it was gonna go into the apocalypto. Yeah, feel, but, but it doesn't quite like did. Now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was like, so, yo, 
But but uh, Jeremy, any anyone? You... I mean, for for me, it's always. I mean, it's always the Tom brothers. Um, oh yeah, they they make incredible. They're the best. Yeah. Um, I, what's their recent project though? They they kind of they, they did like a they did a a series of shorts for for Netflix mm-hmm. um, called "The Ballad of Us Drugs." Drugs. I gotta and, check that out. Um, it's, it's somebody needs to do a movie. It's amazing, amazing. Somebody needs to do a movie about them. Yeah, but they don't talk to anybody. They no, they like so I, there was this. There was an article out year. It was an investigative article about out years ago about how eccentric at least one of them is. Uh, You're thinking yeah. of the Wachowski? No, no, the Coen brothers. They're Cone very brothers eccentric. Oh yeah, okay, okay. Mm-hmm. They're, they're wild. Yeah, they're mm-hmm. wild. super wild. And when I was talking about producing earlier, there's a movie they did called Hell Caesar. Which is just about the, the struggles of, of, of what a producer has to do. Okay. Hail Caesar. Hail Caesar. It's actually not my favorite uh, cover movie at all, but it's a great point. Have you ever seen Wagga Dog? Yeah. Also yeah. Producer, Jeremy That's a great movie. That's <laughs> what was it? Who is it? Al Pacino, Dustin Hoffman, Dustin Hoffman, Dustin Hoffman, Robert De Niro. Nah, that was that that shit fits today's society. I also think there's Dunder Records coming out that are unbelievable, like Terrence Mann, like Joseph Becker, Jeremy Jasper, you know, friends of mine, like Jordan Steele, people who are making movies, Kojak, people who are making movies, and you're like, whoa, you know what? I don't think for me, it was a period of my life where I really loved film, like from a young kid, and and um. I used to really look for independent film and, and different fields. And I don't know if it's my age or the space and time that I am in, in life. I'm just not connected to those, to that independent scene where you get these great films anymore. You know what it is? Now I think seeing, yeah. you're seeing them also on, on HBO. HBO. You're seeing those people come out. Yeah. Has, you know, yeah. this show on HBO. It's like, it takes place half, half of it in bed style. Yeah, what's, yeah, what's, right. what's the show? Um, so, no, random acts of flyness. Acts oh yeah, I love that. That's, that's great. Yeah, it's so super. Clarence that's is one of the you know best you know independent filmmakers out there. Nobody saw Old Civilization for Beauty. Mm-hmm. Nobody even saw that movie, but everybody's seeing his. Everybody's seeing. Yeah, I love that series. I haven't watched it in a while. I mean, that's what that's the that's the I guess the positive and the negative. Now it's so much of an opportunity for individuals to put their content in the world, but it's so much content in the world. That it makes it difficult to find, but you know, whatever. Like, like back in the day, you just dig through the crates, yeah. Find it. And I think you're seeing how talented he is that he just cut through. I mean, that show just cut through. No, nah, it was, it was yeah, smart. It was really, really smart. It went over a lot of people's heads too. I, I really like the show. That's what's good about it, right? It's yeah, like, I like, I like it a lot. You know, we're gonna get into the fix in the next episode, but I want to, sh- you know, say that it seems as though you guys are doing a project with Adam Sandler, right? right. And yeah. then uh, yeah. LeBron directing the movie with yeah, and and LeBron James company, right? But but you guys are in a you're in a great position. You have uh, a project where you're doing with Adam Sandler, who I thought really did a great job in Uncut Gems. I always like Adam yeah. Sandler. Those are, those are amazing directors. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah that Uncut Gems. Wow. Was a, it was a wild movie. <laughs> was a I didn't. Wild. I didn't like the ending, but I, I thought it was a good. good I, I enjoyed it. I loved it. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. To me, yeah, I as well. Yeah. I agree. I mean, like to me, I that he pat that what happened whoa, to him. Whoa! whoa. What people didn't it. see it. <laughs> a bunch of people. Oh, see it. This guy's a scumbag, man. Yeah, Kenny loves the sport, but he loves. That's his thing. Yeah, yeah, that's his thing. Yeah, you know what? Me and Jeremiah are born on the same day, different years. 
July 17th. Yeah, July 17th. Uh, you know, maybe that's it. That's spoilers. Like spoilers. <laughs> no, but, <laughs> but Jeremiah's not a jerk. Yeah, but, <laughs> but I, 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 I definitely <laughs> like the film and his acting in it, but it seems as though you guys are right. You're doing a project with Adam Sandler, but then you just put out We the Animals. You got this great catalog uh, from the early years onward, and then we're going to get into it the next episode. You're doing... Um, a, a project to fix um, and you're working you guys are in these different media uh, spaces you know that you know from major film to independent to the web to uh, Quibi um, that's a great place to be in um, I, I guess you know, we're feeling good about where we're at. Yeah. Like, so the world has exploded, you know, and like everybody is a bit sick. We're going to be okay. Well, everybody is getting sick. Yeah, everybody you know, is getting really sick. Working. Um, yeah, I mean, that's the scary thing, right? It's like the world. But yeah, we feel we're, we're, at, a, we're, we're at an exciting place in, in our careers, you know, and, and, um, and I think the key is that you just find something um, that's at the core of all this work that's beautiful, you know, mm. and that you're, you're excited about. And I think that's what How is it being uh, freaking eat you alive like some of our now? Nah, look, but how <laughs> I'm joking, but sometimes not. On a quick note, too, you, you guys did a, a GE commercial not long ago, right? We did well, GE stuff in the beginning. Oh, okay, I and thought we it was more recent. In a while. No, okay, I did. I did a Goldman Sachs commercial. Oh, shit. What the fuck was that commercial about? Yo, it was like, give us your money and die. I, I wasn't fired. All right. <laughs> it, was like, it was like, it was like, what do they need a commercial? It was like, it was for this, um, it was for the charity. It was for the charities. But I, I, I remember uh, feeling like, even though I was down with the charities or whatever, I remember feeling like working for Goldman Sachs. I remember going to see, I went to see um, that Olive Olivier Asayas movie about um, the, the dude who, Becomes uh, what was it, Edgar Ramirez? What's the what's the movie where he becomes a uh, um, uh, uh, terrorist? He starts off the freedom fighter and becomes a terrorist. He's a he's an Argentinian guy. Do you know? Do you know oh, I feel like I wanted to see that, it's but like, didn't see it. It's like this about the corruption of his soul. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, that's what you were feeling. <laughs> like, what's happening to me? I'm like going to be able to be blowing up. No, <laughs> trust me, we can relate. We did a project. And it will never see the light of day in our portfolio, but it was for the beers. Uh -huh. And I remember, like, you yes. know, I'm like up at night and I'm like, we can fall right. asleep, whatever. I'm working on this. And I'm like, yo, what are we doing? I know, I know. There's like this. What are we doing? There's certain things you're just like, how can I? Like, these I don't have those problems in the criminal defense world. <laughs> yeah. But you did, right, when you were a prosecutor. The prosecutor was prosecutor. very problematic. Right. I only was a prosecutor to do what I'm doing now. It was mm -hmm. just, I never intended on prosecuting for more than. The, the commitment that I had made. I, I did it a year over the commitment that I had to make, but I guess uh, in comparison of um, if I would have went to these, one of these big firms, or if I would have sold my firm, uh, it was an opportunity where I had to sell my firm. If I would have sold my firm and then became an employee of one of these big firms, you know, people think big firms are the shit. And, you know, a lot of the, the, you are, the a lot of these federal prosecutors come from big firms or federal clerkships. And they leave the U.S. Attorney's Office to go to those big firms. And it's funny because they make their career off of crushing the little guy, the, the small drug dealer, the addict. 
who they who they paint as the real bad guys, the reason why society is the way it is, and then they leave and they go to Simpson and Thatcher or Sullivan and Cromwell, one of these huge uh, multinational law firms that are the real, you know, they represent the interests of the real bad guys. So it's it's a it's an interesting um, thing. But also, I want to congratulate you guys. I know you are a father of a beautiful little boy, and I think Jeremy, you are coming soon. Days, weeks, or months? A couple more months. Congrats. Congratulations. You know, that's it. I'll, I'll tell you, because uh, now this is bugging me out how much, we, how long we have known each other. Um, I only had one, I may have only had one child when I met. And now I have three. Did you have a child? Did you have a child when we met, or did you have a child right after we met? I think I, think I remember sure. when you had another kid. Yeah. I remember Jade came along, yeah. but I think when I when you when we met, I think Stone was not even one uh, at that point in time. He was pushing him around. I remember us. I remember. I remember this day vividly. It was a day like this. It was bright and sunny, and I pushed Stone in a stroller to Dumbo Park, and we all met. And we had like wine and beer. We throwing football around, and Stone was running around. Yeah, we got we got to grab a song that feels like that. Yeah, yeah, like but time. But like I, I was gonna say that people think time is linear. Time is really based on your memory and all these other different things that come into play. And children are a great um, measurement of time. So yeah, Jeremy was like the guy keeping y'all all in order, and now he's about to have a kid. This right this, this is also an amazing measure of time. How apropos? How apropos? We're gonna take a break. Come back. And I want to get in. I want us to talk about uh, the fits.
so we're back. I mean, I don't have a favorite independent film. I was just looking around. I have a bunch of them though. I like I like um She's Gotta Have It to Me is always up high on my list. Uh Sweet Badass the song, Melvin um Melvin Van Peebles. Sweet, sweet, sweet. Oh yeah, that was awesome. Um but then I like Usual Suspects, Reservoir Dogs, um Mean Streets, uh Ghost Dog. Um I know it's kind of wacky, but I, I kind of like the uh, Ghost Dog. Yeah, The Wrestler. Um, Apocalypto, yeah. uh, and I think um, what, what's something else? Are these, are these indie? Well, well, considered I mean, indie? Yeah, all of them except for Apocalypto. Yeah. Apocalypto is like a giant Hollywood. It was a giant Hollywood. If it had yeah. the feel, yeah, Mel, Mel Gibson. Yeah, Mel Gibson. Yeah. Okay. That, that I didn't see that. You didn't see it. I, I, I don't. I don't like. I don't like him either. I didn't know. No, but no, no, no. But look, look, look. I don't like him either. But I didn't know he was associated with that film. I had no idea that wow. Mel Gibson was, uh, well, you, would know. you know. Uh, so I don't know somebody else. What's, what's and Deer up? Hunter? Deer Hunter is one Deer of my Hunter's favorite best. films of all time. Yeah. So what's the, what's the, what's another one? What's like if you had to choose? Well, Kenny gave us like thirty, but <laughs> uh, he's a film book. Yeah. I mean, have you guys seen Tangerine? No. Mm. Tangerine is like as independent as a film gets, and that movie is unbelievable. Sean Baker is like I, I mean, I think you know one of the great directors. Tangerine. You guys remember the movie Fresh? Oh, yeah. I love Fresh. Yeah, because Fresh was a movie that Jeremiah and I, when we were in high school, or even this is before high school, we were in eighth grade. Um, it was like a movie that you know we both saw independently and realized, like, oh, you like that movie? Right. That's it. funny that you said that. That was one of that's one of my favorite films of all time. Actually, um, yeah, chess. That's yeah, how we yeah, chess. You know what? I, I don't like. What, what, not that I don't like. That movie reminded me how you can be a really talented black actor and there's just no place for you to go. Like you could do because that kid in that, that film, kid, he was incredible. Yeah. In that, and he Giancarlo was, Esposito was but the in kid. That. The kid was locked into HBO too. He did like he was, a, a yeah, series. He did corner. Corner was great. Yeah, that's my yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's always he was, so he weak. Was in the wood, right? He was wood, in the wood. Yeah, yeah, Sean Nelson. Sean Nelson. Sean Nelson. I don't know what he's been doing lately, but he did the corner. Which was he was a kid. That was a great mm -hmm. film. Chucky. The dope moves. Chucky. Yeah, that was Chucky. Chucky. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. No, that, that was a good. No, but hold up. Yes, of course. Yesterday we, we interviewed Muta Ali. Oh yeah. Yeah, life you. life's essentials with Ruby D. Even yeah. though I only saw it the other day, it that was incredible. Yeah, it was was. I guess "Sorry to Bother You" would be really high oh, on my list. "Sorry to Bother You" was that was a, that's incredible. That was a great film. Yeah, for me, for me again, I'm nowhere near the film buff that like Kenny and Phil are. But I for, I'm fortunate. Like what I have seen, I've enjoyed a lot. But I I'm such a a documentary. Like I'm an information junkie. So even if I'm not learning something factual, if I'm at least learning something by way of some new perspective, then again, I'm all in. So what's a what's a doc that you that you love? Or is that like a doc that got you into docs? Uh, oh wow! I don't know a doc that got me into docs. I don't know. I, I have to. I have to think about that. It's to, to especially to mention something meaningful. It wouldn't even have to be that big. It's a really good doc on Netflix not long ago. Um, it was, I think it's an older doc, but it was called like Cuba and the Cameraman. Oh yeah, yeah, like yeah, that. yeah. Great doc, and it felt very. Homegrown. It's great. It's a favorite, great story. My favorite doc is probably uh, a great and mighty walk uh, by yeah. John Henry Clark. Yeah. 
that would, that would, uh, Wesley Snipes. Yeah, a, a great and mighty walk would be up there. I wouldn't make it. It's plain. definitely up there. Make yeah, it plain yeah. Is another one for me. It's tough. I love documentaries, but I just don't. I don't. I don't know the source of getting the interesting ones. I just don't know where yeah. to look. I mean, it's it's funny because like the the great to me the great documentaries like the ones that formed my you know my desire to make documentaries aren't as easy access as right. Mr. Death. You know, it's a great movie. I, I don't, I forget the name of it. Um, it was uh, Morgan Freeman was a pimp and Christopher Reeves, Superman, was a reporter. That movie, I don't remember the name. That sounds wild. Um, <laughs> Damn, um, hold on. It's not 80s? It's 80s. It might be late 70s. It was uh, Morgan Freeman and Christopher Reeves. Um, that was one of the... I would like to see the odds. I like to see Christopher Reeves as the... <laughs> Street smart. Street smart. You know what's so terrible? I won't say terrible, but this is something that, like, something that drives my wife crazy. Oh, is I'll, I'll watch, and this is probably... You guys probably hate this fact, but it's true. I'll watch everything only at least on double speed. Like, I'm truly Whoa. only wanting the information. I know, that's so terrible of me. But he's, he's and I, I, the amazing, only time I don't do that is if I'm with them. No, yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. Because <laughs> um, uh, I'm really simply wanting the information. If there was a way for me to simply extract yeah. the, like... Oh, I'm, I'm bugging. Well, King, of New, King of New York is my, my best. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, okay, but, yes. But fix is sort of double speed. Yes, right? yes. Well, so realizing that people are trying to... Well, well, I, I want to say uh, the fix. Um, I well, want hold on, I'll tell cats what the fix is. Yeah, yeah, tell us what the fix is. So the fix is a, a show, a pretty show. I think it's a whole new format mm -hmm. that they're trying to build. It's going to be a show that are five to ten minute episodes. Um, it is about the drug war based on a book called Chasing the Scheme by Johan Hari. Mm -hmm. um, it's going to be directed by Nathan Caswell, myself, Josh Banjo, and Cassidy Gearhart, and produced by this man right here and Mike Ball. Um, and um, it is, they are, they are short um, episodes that you can watch on your phone and learn about why the drug war is a mess. Why it's like from the top to the bottom. To the bottom. I, I, I gotta say, guys, it was, um, you, I had spoken to you guys about the project, and it was um, first. Of all, I was honored anytime I hear from you guys, just to hear from me, but even just to get my two cents in it. And um, I found it to be uh, uh, very enlightening and educational, even for myself, someone who deals with the, the you know, the drug war. It's a great book uh, by by Elizabeth Hinton. It's entitled "From the War on Crime to the War on Drugs." It is. It's many books about the drug war out mm -hmm. that's out here. There's a book by a gentleman, a former PD public defender in, in Washington. I forget his name, but the name of the book is called Locking Up Our Own. Um, but there's all these books that are great. But when we talked, and then we, we uh, had a conversation about Harry Anslinger, you guys made me realize that that's a forgotten name and figure in this um, drug war that people don't understand was in a position for 32 years 
they don't they don't understand that he really you know you always hear about Edgar Hoover, J. Edgar Hoover, but he, he in many ways yeah. uh-huh. in many ways he was more powerful than J. Edgar Hoover because his his filter on the world and drugs and uh, certain minorities and certain cultural positions that he took they still resonate today in criminal court in federal court in state criminal court rather and even in the drug the drug world and how the fbi the dea how the u.s attorney's office how they fight these cases and um i I told you guys uh, already that i you know from our interaction about harry anslinger uh, it, it inspired me on a recent federal sentencing memo that I did, and not just because I think I, I, I think a good result happened out of it, but for me, one of the most revolutionary things that you can do as a, a trial attorney and as a criminal attorney is that every moment that you get to open your mouth is an opportunity to learn and educate, and it gave me an opportunity to remind a federal judge who's very powerful that you. You have to start looking at your um, power differently as it relates to sentencing people concerning drug-related crime, um, and that and, and my conversation with you guys helped me get to that point. You know, because I thought the the project is incredible. So it's, it's really an opportunity to educate. Mm-hmm. Um, and right. and uh, you know, I, so I, I really commend you. I'm really looking forward to um, uh, the fix coming out. And, and working with you all, like yeah, like what's some uh, of the stuff you wanna you wanna do? Like we, obviously we wanna help on a, you know wherever we can in terms of creative you know uh, curriculum development whatever. But what are some of the lessons that you all think you can help help the masses ingest? Well, I say I say from the origin. That's why I'm gonna talk about like the origin of the project because I think that's where it started. Mm-hmm. I I was listening to Yohan Hari, who's the author, talk. Give that sense up. Basically, mm-hmm. talk about mm-hmm. that part. Mm-hmm. Uh, which people will discover when they watch the um, when they watch the fix, and I just pulled over and I started crying because I think I I think we're, we're taught as relatives and as friends and as um, you know compatriots of people who are addicts that tough love is the answer. Mm-hmm. You know that we have to sort of you know buck up and pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Mm-hmm. Much of it otherwise is really battling with our own ego to really humanize the other individual. And it's not to say that we're not humanizing our loved ones, but so much of that desire really is our own frustration with our inability to be able to say, do this. It's much harder to accept the reality that this person isn't simply an addict, this person's a substance abuse, this person has a problem that they can't deal with. But the nature of the problem 
is something that as a society we aren't conditioned to look at as a problem. If it was a limb missing or something, it would be so painfully obvious that right. this person is limited. But certainly if they if they could do something else, they probably would do something else. And, and, and what, the sh- what the show does is on a personal level, you can talk about punishment as the answer. But then on a societal level, which the show will eventually get to um, episode by episode, punishment also can't be the answer. And so, and then it goes, you know, from from sort of, you know, this is what happens with your 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 siblings and your parents and your kids and your friends. Um, this is what happens to your neighbors, to you know uh, everyone else in the country, mm-hmm. everyone else in the world, mm-hmm. and, and and it, it really you know we it, for me what it from watching it and and just talking to you guys and actually uh, have an opportunity to participate somewhat is no, that Kenny's interview was unbelievable. Kenny's interview was like <laughs> the first interview that lit off the show. I have to be honest, like we we all just like were watching your interview and we were just like. Every, every director called me up and like, oh my God. But, <laughs> but, but you know, because you know what it makes you realize is that how much this has impacted our lives. Yeah. You know, like it, it's the drug, I mean, it, it's, it's really dictated our lives and how we view the world, how we view each other. And it, it shows, you know, it's funny. Um, it's, it's a public health crisis and it's never looked upon that way. And, and you know, and well, it, now it is. Now it is. It's so, yeah, now it is. With the, but even in that, <laughs> now, now it, it isn't. It isn't. Yeah, it isn't. Yeah, it isn't. Because people still get locked up. No, 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 no. But, but, but the point is, certainly, it's a drastically different, different social, social discourse kisses. when you yes. look at open yes. dynamic versus, versus crack. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. No, no question. And so that changes the approach. And and, I, and and you know, it's it's funny because you deal with all right. For instance, we're in this pan- historic pandemic that we're dealing with now, currently. And if you notice when it first came out, all the politicians, and it's something about America's violence or its ability, its its rugged individualism, all the politicians said, yo, we have an enemy. We have to go to war. Of course, yeah. Cowboy culture. No, Tough talk. No. Mm-hmm. How are you gonna go to war against the fucking virus? Like yeah. you, it's not going to war. It's 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 creating an infrastructure and it's creating and putting things in place so that we can save lives and impact humanity in a positive way the drug and often to me the problem with the drug thing and this is why your series is very important you give the history of of some things some things in it that i didn't realize like i didn't realize it was an opium problem in in america after the civil war um you know what you realize is that it it's an opportunity to socially control um how we how we deal with it so at the end of the day Think about it. Drugs affects everybody. But then when you look at the criminal justice system, you'll think only a certain group of people participate in it. And that's just simply, that's so far from the truth. The drug war is a fundamentally racist. Yeah, absolutely. Know, it's it's political tool, tool. Used to, used to, you know, scapegoat. Look, most people don't know that Harry Anslinger wanted to destroy Billie Holiday. Yeah. And all these musicians, these oh, jazz musicians, yeah. it was this devil music. Yeah, did destroy. Did. Yes, did. Um, and we don't get that. We don't get that. So a, a lot of the things, you know, it's funny when I'm, you know, because sometimes you can, you know, in the criminal justice system, what you usually have, just the mechanism, you usually have um, a homogenous group of law enforcement and prosecutors, for the most part, going after a different homogenous group of people to then bring them into the court of law, the rule of law, and then be judged by another 
group of homogenous people. Usually, at least on the federal level, the more you educate sometimes, the, the, the problem because that becomes the people who are, are, are given the responsibility to, to disseminate justice, they often find it a personal affront when you give them historical perspective of why this poor person or this person is before them. And that's a lot of your challenge. So you have to constantly educate them towards that. But sometimes you can forget as you're standing there as a lawyer, prosecutor and defense attorney, is that it's likely that that judge, usually white judge, who's sitting on that bench, they have had some issue with the drug thing that's affected their family. Definitely. Or their neighbor. Yeah. But how society deals with it from their position of privilege, they, they don't... When it's time for them to determine whether this young kid who got into the drug game uh, should have to pay the price, they forget those experiences, or maybe they or remember they, them, or they blame them. Or they, yes, but it's and it's or convenient. They blame them. Yeah, but it's yeah. also so, very convenient because that allows us to break our so, arms, pat ourselves on the back, and say, you know what, I chose better right. for me. Yeah, I chose better. Yes. Or it's like, yes. Mr. Montgomery, Mr. Yes. Montgomery, you you survived Brownsville. Yes. Um, you know, basically, I'm the standard. Right. But you, we're not talking about the system that exists. Right. You know, we, we always right. this is in, This is in spite of, not because of. But yeah, I mean, what, what you look at, one of the really interesting things um, that Nate deals with actually in the episode about um, opioids is talking about how this has happened throughout society, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like when, um, you know, when, when there was tremendous poverty um, in um, Ireland right after, I think it's the potato pen. Same thing, um, exactly. and even even now, the prescription pills. It's, gonna be crazy. it's even crazy. No, it's going to be, no, gonna be nutty. Um, I think about like, yeah. Go ahead. What's happening now is it's so crazy because there. I mean, this is like a kind of a longer uh, story, but there's there's no heroin in America right now because of because of COVID. COVID. Yeah. So fentanyl is the place. But what's crazy though, the best fentanyl comes from China. But like you said, there's a long history of that. Like I think about China. I think about 18th century. It's one of my favorite historical artifacts. It's like a letter. It was a letter from, it was a letter to King George III. And it talks about, it's basically, you know, the Chinese emperor, you know, basically saying, look, you're not welcome here. But of course, we all know historically what ended up happening. You're going to get, you know, these freaking giant British drug dealers. This, this is going to take place. It's going to be a historical fact. But it was so interesting seeing this sort of, this face of this dignity, this attempt at saying, look, you don't have what we want. But in the final analysis, look, power prevailed. And you fast forward and obviously America's born and all this other good stuff. But it's a long history. It's simply a very I long li- history. I like the fact that uh, the film for me is that every episode that I've seen is an is a, is a educational course. It's an academic course that this America needs to have. Because it, without it, um, and it needs to be more of 
and every angle because without it, we're still going to go down this rabbit hole where, you know, there's still, despite all these so-called uh, changes in laws and changing the crack cocaine, uh, cocaine ratio, we still have 2 million plus people in prison. We ultimately still have a huge drug problem. Like you can go off of Myrtle, Broadway, Bushwick area. You can go in Harlem on the east side. And it's almost like you're in a Kensington. I don't know. You I guys say it at that area in Philly. You yeah. guys, that's Kensington, right? I've never seen nothing like and Kensington. It's happening, it's happening all over the country, right? It's like yeah. every time they close a the factory, mm-hmm. uh, opioid use goes. We're not talking about there being more drugs there suddenly. We're not talking about you know more people who suddenly you know are are using opioid, trying opioids because it's ubiquitous. We're talking about. You, you know, it's interesting. Well, and not to mention the, the full-on crack. I mean, again, anybody listening to this is well aware of the historical aspects, but it's it's not as if this is happening by chance. This information, we, we have the information now. We know what's being done very much intentionally. But in general, even a lot of the information that you all are crafting masterfully, we like we were talking earlier, this information has been in the public domain, but it's putting it in a context where the public can digest it and make use of it. It's aha, right? So this is what I, I think this is also Johan, who wrote the book, is really brilliant. And, and he's talking about, like, how do you create an aha moment? Right? Mm-hmm. How do you create a moment where somebody says, and that's, that's what we're trying to do, where somebody says, oh, that changed my mind. Or, oh, I never looked at it that way. And like, how do you do that quickly and how do you do it powerfully? And that's what the fix is trying to do, right? In every episode, we're trying to say, you thought something looked like this, but actually it looks like this. You right. thought you knew this, but actually it's this. We try right. to give you an aha moment in every episode so that you feel like, you know, you, you're changed slightly as a person. And that's what happened to me when I, when I heard his TED Talk, and that's what we want to be able to do with this show. And, and even, you know, one of the things that's interesting um, that you guys covered uh, is about how Anslinger went after the doctors right. um, initially. And it's funny, when you fast forward now, some 50, 60 years later, or however many years later, um, this opioid epidemic is partly because of the pharmaceutical companies and even the prescriptions, you know, the, the pharmaceutical companies are given a pass. Like these pharmaceutical salesmen and companies, they knew exactly where the spikes were in opioid use. And there was nothing regulatory coming from the government to say, hold on, what's going on over here? Um, and, and they've essentially been allowed to make billions of dollars off of off of uh, a sickness, and addiction, and, and and those people need to go to prison. But mm-hmm. I think what we also want to say is that they are just exploiting the problem, right? Oh, they are yes. Not the problem. No, yeah. no, no, yeah, it's not the problem. The problem is disenfranchisement, and you know, uh, a, a country that is you know completely economically divided. And yeah, know, however, however, I will say relieving them of some of their bounty. I'm not too mad. Bounty, at that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think what's, what we what we want to do with the show also is we want to make it so that you know we don't want there to just be easy scapegoats, and we don't want to mm-hmm. say right. Yeah, the absolutely. Companies, Good point. Yeah, for sure. No, it's it's layered. Yeah. It's, it's a sure. very for layered sure. problem, and it's I, a I, it's, a I system. it's a system. But I thought for me personally, you guys uh, did a, a incredible job of educating the different layers, yeah. complex layers of what this drug uh, problem is about. And, and lawyers can benefit, social workers can benefit, school-age children can benefit, the academia world can benefit. Like, there's a bunch of different ways. Like, it's almost as if each episode is a, is a, um, 
is a is a is a learning lesson as far as like there, there needs to be a as we we talk about a curriculum yeah. that comes out with each episode yeah. so that because this isn't like it's all there like Mally said it's all there so you can for your own but, but you know what well I'll tell you what's different is when you when you think about the fix is even the average person well the average person is average the average person isn't going to watch and or necessarily be compelled by a TED talk and I'm not saying that they don't have the capacity. But the nature of the content is simply not there. The average person isn't going to go and read Dark Alliance and be moved by Gary Webb, right? So the information is there, but to take it and use the skills that you all have crafted to help sell, you know, whatever client. Well, that's, the, craft, that's you know. what I think um, is interesting about, you know, so, so, so there's a book called Chasing Screen. There's a TED Talk that Yohan Hari did. We're making this show. And then, you know, these are all just pieces. And what will hope to be a much, much larger um, discussion. And hopefully there's policies, hopefully there's classes, mm-hmm. hopefully there's um, all sorts of other things that take this information and distribute it in different ways. And people who are going to watch Bibi will see our show. People who are going to read books will read Young Hari's book. People who are going to go to classes might read something else. And people who, um, you know, and, and then if there are policies that are also you know, coming out of a lot of the, the ideas that are in the book and the show and all this stuff, then, you know, that'll be distributed to people in, in a whole different, more, you know, effective way. Um, and so, you know, I think uh, there's all different ways to get this stuff out there. And, you know, each one comes from the other. Right. How do, it, how do you guys decide where to stop at? Because it's such an expansive... I mean, I think problem. You know, we right now we, we got conditions for eight episodes, so that's the stop. <laughs> you know, after that, it'll be a question. It'll right. be a question. I mean, we'll have to see how how it works. You know, and and if people are responding to the show, and if people are, um, you know, and if you know, Quibi is able to get the show out there in a way that um, that allows people to respond. But I think I think like as it relates to the public response. That type of intention that you're talking about there is very much needed, and that becomes its own proof positive, right? Like we we know that not to oversimplify and make some boogeyman other side, but we do know, like those of us of a certain age, when we think about you know um, Sandinistas, we think about you know Reagan. I can remember being a kid, and here's this freaking video game Contra, right. and I can remember then growing up reading like, oh man, this is like a piece of freaking propaganda. Right. There's an entire generation of young men and women. Many of them black and brown, many of them signing themselves up for the service and they're having this, this image, this image in their mind because of these people with this powerful visual vocabulary that used it for the state's purpose in that sense. Yeah. To see that skill used for this objective is very, it's noble and it's a beautiful thing to see. And, and, and when, when is the release? We're yes. finishing it in November mm-hmm. and we're not sure if it's going to release the end of the year or the beginning of I think it's also something that, you know, we have relationships with educators as well, which, you know, education is changing in this country as as we speak, maybe for the better at this point, even though it's under some tremendous strain right now. But I can imagine schools really benefiting off of this as well. Yeah, you're, um, you're looking at, like, I, I look at, you know, radical politicians on the right and the left, to be honest, talking about yeah, that's the one thing that's some of recent that they right. seem to be in, in the same and mode. That's interesting, right? Why? So, like, and, and if so, why are we not talking about it, right? Mm. If it's affecting everybody, if everybody knows somebody who's 
believe in that. And everybody knows somebody who's, who's affected by the war on drugs, whether they're too much money being made in the system. But you know what? But you also have to take that moment in time where there's a crack. Open it up, then. Start, start opening it up because you don't get those moments off. You don't. You do not get those moments often. So even if it is misguided, even if it is people being opportunists, fine. We do have an agenda. We have to be very, very purposeful with our agenda. And, and I, I think uh, I think it would be good for us to keep having these conversations and think of innovative ways to get it out. Yeah. I think from a, a more practical, direct standpoint, I think who you guys have interviewed is very powerful. And I'm not going to drop the bag. I'm not going to spoil but I think who you guys probably get the narrator is going to be very powerful for so as well. Too, yeah. So you know, I think it's going to get. I think it's going to get the, the word out there in a great way. I think so as well. But it's necessary. It's and, I, and I think the word is essentially, you know, I mean, you know, as we've been talking with Tina, but I, you know, essentially, you know, we are culture right now, and the world is in pain, and our response to deal with people in pain is to inflict more, more pain. pain. And, it's and always been like that. It's a self-perpetuating, yeah. you know, prophecy where you know we just keep creating the cycle of pain. It just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And we just have to but stop. America believes in pain, right? Like, and and it, but also, it's pain it dividends for America. Well, yeah, and but look, for I mean, very, for the very few, yeah, that's right, exactly, yeah. exactly. The, 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 especially if somebody else is suffering, you know what I'm saying? If somebody else is suffering. It's I like, think geez. I think America has never had a really reflective moment. Uh, you need time and space to be reflective. Yeah. And America, through time and space in a very short period of time, has reached such a high level of success. And people have confidence in that success that it's never really, it's prevented America from really having a reflective moment. Um, and that's where you get American exceptionalism and you get all these other bad concepts and ideas because it really gets you away from what you need to be doing, which is critically thinking, and then creating um, uh, uh, activations and solutions out of that critical thinking. But that happens at the level of the individual, right? Like if you as an individual, you're involved in a conflict, a fight, you're fighting, you're fighting, you're so pumped up, you can come out of that fight feeling powerful and incredible and awesome. You need, like you said, that space and time to kind of get back down. America basically came into this mess fighting. And nonstop, and and then telling itself along the but, way, but, I bled for this. Yeah, because the this. success came at the expense of, of yeah. a lot of people yeah. and society. And you know, people don't realize when you are on the other end of that violence mm-hmm. or that ignorance, it's not just affecting uh, the, the person on the bottom anymore. Those societies that you being on the bottom, it's also affecting you. And America is not been willing to accept the fact that it's affecting them like you 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 you, you know you have so many individual examples you got a, a congressman like steve scalia uh who or scalise whatever the hell his name Scalise, is. scalise who gets shot gets saved by a black uh lesbian woman but then he he votes against an equality bill so it's like but that's the, the recklessness the high, yeah but that's the at the high levels of 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 they're doing that all the time. They're constantly voting. Yes. Like, like even the drug, one of the things that you, you know, you guys uh, point out, like, you know, people very rarely talk about the sentencing commission in Washington that decides the punishment for federal drug participation. Who are those people? 
Right. What's their connection? Why are they there? To, why? What qualifies them to make those decisions? And have they looked? And had to guess. Know, know what their policy is. However, I also I don't always want to assume that they are not looking because right. the reality is we can all look at the same information but walk away with something else, right. and that's back to that point of context. You know what I'm saying? I think I think one of the things that what perpetuates the drug problem in America also is that you know you you have people who are concerned. They have family who are addicts or neighbors, so they're like they're trying to deal with that in real time on their personal level. Which you which you which you can tend to forget sometimes is what you're fighting. You know, the budget for the drug mm -hmm. game, they're not dealing with 2020 budget. The budget is dealing with 2029 somewhere. They've already allocated the money to continue fighting in a certain way 10 to 15 years down the line. So it's almost like you can't catch up to the problem anymore. It's almost like people always talk about the death penalty in this country. You know, the, the budget to kill people in America is, is 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 incredibly uh, expansive and voluminous. They're they already established the budget for six years down the line already. So it's like something has to happen on the ground in the schools, mm -hmm. in film, in academia, um, in sources that we don't, we haven't even thought of yet to to begin uh, disrupting that system. Yeah, you have to have that cultural shift because you're not going to legislate cultural change. That's where films like this and other connected types of projects come in to do that work. Yeah. That the, the, that has, the change has to take place at that cultural level and then you leverage whatever happens to take place. Kind of like this moment in time now. You have a, a generation of young, liberal, as they might describe themselves, whites, kids who don't want to be white. They don't want that promise. They they sincerely are like, I don't know what I want, but I don't want that. So it's like, you know what? Before y'all grow up and take that white inheritance and then say, all right, eh, I'll hold my nose and take it. We have to help them say, okay, here's what you can do. Because if the only thing we continue to do is show them the might of, you know, what at this moment they understand as their enemy as well, they're going to have no choice because you're going to keep getting older. <laughs> and eventually you will have to say, well, look. That's right. You know, I'm all in. So Where we have to give them options. They have better solutions. And better ideas have, yes. to have the ability to rise to the top. Um, so, everybody, please watch The Fix. It's an incredible movie, uh, incredible series um, that's coming out uh, in, in the hopefully in the fall, right? Or a little bit after. Yeah, either December or, or early 2020. Um, we're going to do everything we can to, to promote and, and, and raise awareness. What's some other projects? Yeah, yeah. Where, where, for, and where can cats go to like find out more about what you all have been doing and have come up? Go to the public record TV. That's our website. You can see all the work of everybody at Public Record. And, you know, the, you can see In the Dream for free. Mm -hmm. video right now. We Animals. Right. You can see We the Animals on Netflix. Mm -hmm. For sure. You can see um, Captivated, Proud of Tennis Model on HBO. HBO. It's a great film. Um, Hustle. Yeah, three years. Years. <laughs> Hold on. But hustle, hustle like, yeah, you'll see this uh, next is month. The Adam Sandler, Adam Sandler, so, so, LeBron. So this is the Adam Sandler movie. And, and, and I don't know if I can actually talk about, about the schedule or anything. But I don't think you can. So. Yeah, so I kind of like schedule. But it's, it, it'll, it, it'll be a little while. 
Okay, but it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. Suffice to say, it's headed your way. Anything in the anything in the beginning stages, right? Yeah, there's a lot of other things percolating, but we can't really talk. Right, I got it. But now, but you can game is like a drug game. The world. Keep your mouth closed. Ah, hence the fix. Finally, now we see what what we dealing with here. Yeah, I'm really glad to see you guys. Uh, I, I'm, I'm so glad. I'm so glad to disconnect more and more. Yeah. And more. I, I like seeing the little grades. Everybody's looking a little more mature. These guys oh, growing. Yeah. I, I saw sooner. The, I saw the film. Bro. I like how you just call me a young guy when I walk in. I feel so old. <laughs> <laughs> the first thing I thought of when you said these are young guys was I'm turning forty in like two months. That's <laughs> still young, though. Yeah. It's young. It's young. We just were a lot younger when we met. That's what I was saying. You know what I'm saying? I was in my twenties though. That's crazy. Um, I, I know uh, you guys work really hard. You take your craft seriously. But one of the things that's always impressed me about you guys as humans is that you really tap into humanity. Like you guys aren't. Um, in a lot of True. regards, you're the same guys that I met uh, back then. But in a lot of ways, you're also a lot different. And, and yeah, even a lot that. better version. <laughs> a lot, you're married and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, it's yeah. a lot better version of that and that's no it is it is hope, beautiful that's to, to me yeah. i'm not a i don't i'm not a believer in hope but it does provide me some some personal hope no i think that it's beautiful to see what you guys created and done it's, it's, it's really we're really the old guys minus film man everything is great <laughs> you know what I'm well so, what's cool what's cool is that uh you know you guys have always just been together and yeah. you, you stay together you guys stay together and we're doing different things you guys are doing different things and um, I think the goal now is to yeah, see if something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we started that already. Though. Yeah, I, I think that's the key, though, for like anybody out there. You sort of wondering like this journey, and it is. It can be challenging doing creative work and balancing that that world of how do you create your own and how do you you know provide for clients and then bring money and whatever. Being able to sustain a community that will a help you do that, but help you sustain your own mind is critical. It's and, absolutely critical. And, you know, I'm I'm really honored to have taking a part and I get called for some things. Um, this would be probably my most uh, proud moment of appearing in the fix. Man. It I'm, really is. I'm so excited like, to see more. Do you, do that, that, do you saw a little bit of you? Wait till you see. Nah, because I also know you guys. What about, what about the HBO show? Uh, which, which one? Um, the one with uh, the, night the, night the Night Out. Well, that, that, that's more, um, you know what? I, I felt good because I, you know what's similar? You you guys and John Totero kind of have the same vibe, really bright and human. Um, I felt good watching the series and seeing lines that I literally told him yeah. come out of his mouth. So it was, it was pretty pretty dope. Good big up to John Totero. He hit he hit me up um, during this pandemic thing. That was really good. But you know, even I watched uh, the Khalid Browder story, and I realized that they put a lot of the stuff that I thought was important on. The cutting floor, mm-hmm. um, but it's also taught me how when you have these interviews with people, you have to really mm-hmm. be efficient about what you say and how you say it, so that they got it. Some of that stuff just gets in there anyway, and I, I felt it did. But for this, you know, we came up together, so it <laughs> felt good to like you know be a part of it. And it's an important. I, I think it's important work. And as I told you guys, I already used it um, in a sentencing memo that I think I think. Um, you know, people don't understand in federal court, you know, the victories are, are far and few in between. And what you have, what you describe as a win, 
um, has to be redefined. And from you guys' education with me and me working with you guys on the fix, I think I was able to bring a little bit of uh, positivity to someone's life who's in the, who's in the world of trouble. And that feels so good, man. I was like, I know that's the goal. When I when I heard you tell me that story, I was like, that's a whole goal. Yeah, it was. Like we haven't released the thing yet, and already the goal is to be. Nah, it's cool. Look, man, you guys, I don't know where y'all gonna go, but I'm I'm excited to be along for the ride and watch. You already been Emmy nominated, uh, right? That's right. Oscar nominated. Oscar nominated many times. Yeah. So I think shortlisted. We'll work on that. We'll work on that. Yeah. Sky's the limit. You know. We good? Yeah, I think so. You you talked a lot. You know. We went over. Yes, we we gotta, we're not done. You got to say peace. So you fucking say, you, you do it, man. You do it. You, you. <laughs> Somebody had mentioned Billie Holiday earlier. Oh, man. And, and it was a crazy... She, who, who, who did you say used to be Billie Holiday's babysitter? Who used to babysit Billie Crystal. Oh, vice versa. Oh, wow. How crazy is that? Hold on. Billie Holiday used to babysit Billy Crystal, the actor. No way. Isn't that freaking crazy? Yeah, that's that's a wild... Crazy. Crazy. We gotta fact check that. We're gonna yeah, fact check that. No, no. That's a beautiful book. No, yeah, I gotta check it out. That's a beautiful story, also about Jewish and black relations. And that's yeah, another episode too. Yeah, I gotta yeah, check it out. That's man. a very yeah. well a documented Jewish, a Jewish socialist school teacher who wrote that song, and you know, obviously Billy Holiday who made that song. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Here's okay. here it is. Holiday had three abusive husbands, two heroin addicts. The first was trombonist Jimmy Monroe, mm-hmm. mafia enforcer. She reportedly had better luck with some of her lovers, who included Orson Welles. Yeah, I knew that. Wow. Bankhead, without a child of her own, she frequently offered to babysit friends' kids. One was future comedian Billy Crystal, the son of Commodore musician store owner Jack Crystal. Wow. First off, it's so crazy that all of these people I around the same time. that all that Kenny was spewing, no one wanted to fact check Kenny. <laughs> I always want to fact check him. What are you talking about? Why are you bringing me in? Oh, yeah, that was Phil who said it. She pulled you in for nothing. I was trying to punish you for making all the noise. But it is so crazy how all of their stories are so interwoven. All of those, like, these crazy... With the jazz, I get it. Right, great point. Think about it. Red Fox was hustling for Malcolm. That was crazy. I'm like, hold up. I don't remember what book I was reading, but I read I'm like, hold up. What? Yeah, I'm like, at first of all, that's terrible. You know what I'm saying? Because <laughs> um, thank you for listening in to the Brooklyn Combine podcast. Another another um, music uh contribution. Uh, Jeremy Jeremy, get, yeah. Jeremy don't give a fuck about music. Yeah, Jeremy's like, I don't give a fuck. That's not true. No, no, I I'm I'm not up on, on this stuff right now. Yeah. Right? It don't oh, have to be it new. Gotta be new. It don't gotta be new.
Well, good morning. This gyro as well.